Gospel of John, chapter 3. And uh, this morning, I'm going to read from verse 14 through verse 20, 21. Uh, John 3, 14 through 21. And it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as I, as I read this passage here, um, you, you probably have, I think everyone in here has heard of John 3.16. That's the passage we're going to focus on today, and then the next couple of weeks we're going to dissect the rest of this. But John 3.16 is probably the most memorized verse in the Bible. Uh, we, we've all learned it from childhood, and in fact, I, many unbelievers know John 3.16 just because of how recognized it is in the world today. And there's a reason for that. It's good that we memorize this verse. Uh, it's, it's important to our Christian life and our Christian walk. Uh, first of all, it's important because it is so encouraging. It talks about God's love and God's love for the world. You see, without God's love, God's love for the world, we would be lost. So this passage gives us encouragement that we are loved by God. It also speaks of opportunity. The passage says, whoever believes in him. It's wonderful to know that we have the opportunity to believe in God and have eternal life. It also is very popular and very important because it holds so much hope that whoever believes in him may receive or may have eternal life or will have eternal life. And it also is very important and it's also very recognizable to all of us because it teaches us the gospel explicitly that verse alone is the gospel in a nutshell it tells us that we are sinners in need of a savior that savior is christ if we place our faith in him we will have eternal life you see but there is more to john three sixteen than I think the average Christian realizes it's one of those verses that since we, everybody knows it, I don't know how many people really pay attention to it. And it is a very important verse uh, for the church for all the reasons that I've already given, but we need to realize that for ourselves as well. John 3.16 is not only for little kids, it's, it's, it's for us as well. It's for people who have who have grown up in the church, people who are mature in their faith, it touches all ages of life. 
But when we talk about John 3.16, context is important, as it is with every passage. And the discussion that's happening before this verse gives us the context we need to understand its meaning. So as we look at verses 1 through 15, and I'm going to give you a very high-level overview of those verses here, I want to repeat that just so that we can get the context for John 3.16 today. First of all, there is a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Jesus or Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, the passage says, and when Jesus sees his heart, Jesus says, you must be born again if you want to be saved. And Jesus says, in order to be born again, one has to be cleansed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so, to this, Nicodemus answers, how can this be? How can one be born again? Does he have to enter his mother's womb to be born again? Nicodemus was thinking on a physical level. Jesus was speaking on a spiritual level. Jesus also says that this work of being cleansed and transformed by the Holy Spirit is solely the work of the Holy Spirit. And he points to the fact that the Holy Spirit's work is both mysterious and effective. He talks about the wind and says no one sees where the wind goes, where it comes from, but we know its power. The Holy Spirit is the same way. We talked about how Jesus was was talking about and pointing Nicodemus to Ezekiel chapter 36 and then also chapter 37 and the work of the Spirit in man when God saves him. The problem with this is that Nicodemus didn't believe what Jesus was saying about salvation. And in response, Jesus affirms the accuracy and also the power of his teaching on salvation by his own name. He basically tells Nicodemus, you're not going to believe anybody if you don't believe me. Here I am, I'm the son of man, I'm the one the scriptures promise, and I'm telling you, this is the way it is. And then Jesus says that the son of man must be lifted up so that salvation can come to whoever believes in him. Then after that, we have the infamous, powerful, and hopeful verse of John 3, 16. Now, just with 3.16 and what follows, there is a lot to discuss. But from our passage today, we're going to focus on what it means to have eternal life. And since we're going to talk about eternal life, we, all are, we are also going to talk about what it means to perish. Because this is something we have to all understand. At the end of life, everyone in here, everyone in this world, everyone who has ever lived, at the end of life, you will receive eternal life or eternal death. What you believe about Jesus will be the difference. That is the gospel truth. At the end of life, you will receive eternal life or eternal death, and what you believe about Jesus will be the difference. So let's talk about this promise of eternal life that is found in Christ. There's a powerful story uh, in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. It talks about about Moses and the Israelites. 
and how they were wandering through the desert and how the people became impatient and how they started to complain about God and Moses. It says that the people spoke about or against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So here we get, we see the Israelites and we see how they complain about not being in Egypt, not having food and water, which that in itself was a lie because we know how God provided for them in the desert. And then we also know it's a lie because they complained about the food that they had. They hated the food that God provided for them to eat, the manna. God sent venomous serpents into the camp and they bit the people in the camp and the Bible says that many of them died. So in response to this, the people cried out to God. Numbers 21.7 says this, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. God commanded Moses, in response to this, God commanded Moses, or in answer to their prayer, God commanded Moses to make a serpent of bronze and to set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he was to look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, this is the illustration that Christ uses in verses 14 and 15, the very beginning of the passage that I read to you. And he uses this verse when he's speaking to Nicodemus, and he is specifically talking about salvation. I want to read that again for you. John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, this illustration that Jesus uses is extremely important to understanding John 3.16 and the significance of its teaching. Just as the Israelites looked to that bronze serpent that I told you about in the story in Numbers 21, just as they looked at the bronze serpent to live from the bite of the venomous snakes, those who look to Christ for their salvation shall not suffer spiritual death from the bite of sin. For we know at the very beginning of the Bible, the Bible tells us that man fell into sin. Adam and Eve fell into sin and along with them all of humanity. We have all been affected by it. We have been bitten by it, so to speak. And we need a savior. Jesus uses the illustration of Numbers 21 to point to himself that he is that savior. Now on the flip side, this illustration points out that if there is no Christ, then we have no life. Just like those who did not look at the, at, at the bronze serpent, they died. Without it, they died. Without Christ, everyone dies as well. 
So without Christ, there is no life. So Jesus says that those who look to him and those who trust in him alone for salvation, that they shall have eternal life instead of perishing. We see that word a lot, that phrase, eternal life, but do we really think about what that means? That was, that's the point of my sermon today. I, I want to illuminate eternal life, and I also want to illuminate eternal death. So that we can, as Christians, we can sit down and think about what we have received in Christ. And if you're not a Christian in here today, I really want you to think about what you will receive without Christ. Because that is just as important. See, when we think of the phrase eternal life, we tend to think of longevity. We tend to think of eternal life, live eternally. The fact is is that everyone is going to live eternally. So when we think about eternal life, we shouldn't only think of longevity, but we should also think of quality. I think that's the important thing. That we think of longevity, but also quality. Humans are eternal creatures. As I said, no matter, no matter what, you and I, we are going to exist forever. The Bible says that he has placed an eternity into the hearts of men. So listen, if we are going to exist forever, the essential question is not how long we're going to live, but rather it is how each of us will spend eternity. What quality of life will we have? Jesus says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. That's a lot. Because what that means, what that means is that a person who believes in him will live with him forever. So if, if I'm going to try to define eternal life, I'm going to use Christ to define it. Because many times when we say that, or when you hear the phrase eternal life, automatically we think of angels that are flying around, we think angels playing harps, we think of clouds, we think of, of bliss, we, we think of whatever concept we have in our mind about heaven. But eternal life is not heaven, and it's not about heaven. It's about Christ. And that's something that we have to know as Christians. In fact, Jesus says in John 14, verses 2 through 3, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, ha would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Now listen very carefully to this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's what eternal life is about. It's about being with Christ. And I'm talking about in the physical sense as well as the spiritual sense. Christ has resurrected into heaven. He has taken his place. He is interceding on our behalf. He will come back and he will take us to be with him. 
that is eternal life. That is something that we have to understand and, and know that is what is being promised in the Bible, that to be with Christ is eternal life. Spurgeon says heaven and Christ are the same thing. To be with Christ is to be in heaven, and to be in heaven is to be with Christ. So if we think about it that way, we must know that if we are going to be with the one who saved us, if we are going to be with our Savior, if we are going to be with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior Jesus Christ, then we must understand that eternal life is a glorious state. It's something that we ourselves have never experienced. Listen, it is going to be a time for the first time in our lives when we will have God and that will be enough for us. Because right now, there's always a competition because of our sinful desires. We don't love God as we should with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, all of our mind. But when we have eternal life, when we have Christ, we will be with God and he will be enough. I think also selfishly, whenever we think about eternal life, we think about this big grand reunion with those that we love and have lost. I think each one of us thinks about that. But we must also understand that eternal life is not about that as well. Yes, we will benefit from that and we will have that, but that's not the point of our faith. Again, I must point you to Christ when it comes to eternal life and the benefit of it he is the full benefit of it. He is our reward. Yes, we will be reunited with the saints who have died and who are with Christ now. But the most important thing is that you will be with Christ. It's like the old saying about a home is not a home unless you have those that you love there with you. I remember growing up, and when we, when we were growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, and we lived in some pretty low-scale housing. But no matter what, no matter what, as long as I had my brothers, my sister, my family with me, it was a home. Didn't matter what kind of shape it was in, it was always a home. I re and, and now I feel the same way. If I come home and my family is not there for a long period of time, it doesn't feel like a home. It feels like a house. I can't imagine life without them and just living there by myself. And I think we all share that sentiment. We all feel the same way. Well, in the same way, heaven without Christ is not heaven. And it's not worth it unless he is there. Samuel Rutherford said this, O oh my Lord Jesus Christ, 
If I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me. For thou art the heaven I want. When we talk about eternal life, we are talking about living with Christ. When Jesus says that you will receive eternal life, what he's saying is that you're going to be with me forever. And because we have Christ, eternal life will be perfect fellowship and worship of God. We'll finally be able to do things right. And we will do them right because of God's goodness. Not only that, but eternal life also points to the fact that we will have perfect fellowship with one another. Can I get an amen for that? I, we, we have no idea what that's like. No idea whatsoever. Even in our most intimate relationships, when we talk about husband and wife and, and, and parent and child, we don't know what that is like to have perfect fellowship. But in Christ, when we receive eternal life, that is what we are gifted with. And not only that, but also we will be in perfect harmony with the world. Because when the Bible talks about eternal life and it talks about the afterlife and when things are all said and done, it talks about a new world that God creates. And it's going to be filled with some of the things that we see today, but and, and, and more, but it's going to be perfected. I once heard a guy talking about this, and he said, you know, there is no need for a Christian to have a bucket list. Because if he doesn't get to do anything on this side of heaven, he's for sure going to be able to do that and more on the other side of heaven. That's the, the perfect harmony that we're going to have with the world. Again, something else that we have never experienced. So, eternal life is life to the fullest. Jesus says, I have come to give life and give life to the full. Well, eternal life is life to the fullest for eternity. Listen to this out of the book of Revelation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever what a beautiful picture of eternal life that's Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5. That we will be with Christ and he will be enough for us. We will want no more. Sounds great. Sounds wonderful. That's exactly what Christ is talking about in John three sixteen. That's exactly what he, what he points to 
when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish or should not perish, but have eternal life. But we can't be done yet because there is a word that I said right before shall receive eternal life, and that is whoever believes in him should not perish. On the flip side, on the flip side, the word perish is found in verse 16. And that's what I refer to as eternal death. When we look at perish, it means to suffer complete ruin or destruction. When you start to look at these other words like destruction, there are some interesting things behind these words. Destruction talks about undoing something. And when you destroy something, you basically undo it in a very disorganized way. When I think about destroying something, I think about renovation. I'm trying to think about it in a positive light. I think about renovation. Well, before you renovate, you have to knock everything out. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to do that, but it's, it feels very good to do it. You get out some aggression, you get this big old sledgehammer, you just start destroying stuff. I don't know, maybe that says something about my personality. But I just find it very gratifying to do something like that and for it to be helpful. It's, it's, when you're destroying something for that cause, it could be seen as a good cause. But listen, I'm not relating it to the destruction that those who will endure when they, are, when they perish. Because that will not be fun. Think about this. To be undone for eternity. That doesn't sound like much fun. A lot of people think that when we talk about being destroyed in hell, that there is, there is going to be, it's going to be a moment. It's going to be an event where they feel little pain and it's just over with and they, they cease to exist. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us, again, that every creature exists eternally. Those who, who live with Christ, they have eternal life. Those who live without him have eternal death. So it is an eternity of being destroyed by the wrath of God. In the biblical sense, it means eternal destruction of mind, of body, and soul. It means destruction of the whole man. Listen to this out of Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 29 through 31. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we talk about perishing, 
when we talk about eternal death, we must know that it is an existence that is absent of God's love, of God's grace, and of God's mercy. One thing we must understand is that it's not a party, it's not a beer commercial. It's not that. Because a lot of people in the world think it's that, and it's not that. It's the worst thing anyone could ever think of going through. And then you multiply that by infinity, and maybe you'll get there. Revelation 14, verses 10 through 11 say this about eternal death and about perishing. This is talking about the person who will be there. He will drink the wine of God's wrath. That's enough for me to stop right there. Just thinking about that. He will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night. It's a miserable existence. Jesus is saying, after you, after you die here on earth, what awaits you is eternal life, our eternal death to perish. Stark differences between the two. When we talk about eternal life, there's triumph there. There's hope. There's encouragement. There's something better than what we are living today. Because when we talk about eternal life, we know that those given eternal life will be surrounded and supported by his love forever. A love that we have never, ever felt before on that scale that we will feel that day. That's what eternal life speaks of, being surrounded and supported by his love forever. So it is a triumph, but when we, took it, when we look at eternal death, that is a tragedy. Because instead of being supported and surrounded by his love, those who perish will be surrounded and tormented by his wrath forever. There's a big difference between the two. And as I said in the sermon summary, after we die, we have eternal life, or we have eternal death. What you believe about Jesus makes all the difference. See, that's why that illustration that Jesus shared in verses 14 and 15 is so important when you connect it with John 3, 16. We have all been bitten by sin. And from birth, we all have a death sentence. Like the Israelites who were bit by the fiery serpents, 
you and I, everybody in here, we need someone to take away that death sentence from us. See, it's not something that we can do on our own. We can't save ourselves. That's what, with using that illustration, that's what Christ was saying. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm it. I'm your all in all. I hope everyone in here understands that, that without Christ, there is no life. There's only eternal death. We need the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So our only hope in life and also in death is to look to Christ for our salvation. Find salvation in no one else. So, today, we must believe who the script, we must believe what the scriptures say about Christ. We must believe that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We must believe that we fail God every day and we cannot save ourselves. We must believe that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that he is our savior. The Bible says that if we believe the gospel and repent from our sins, that we will be saved, that we will be born again, and we will receive eternal life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so 